0: Um, Well, I love celebrating this time of year because we have Jesus who is the hope of the world. And what I recognize is that we all need hope. In fact, as, as we go forward, I want to talk a little bit this morning about the difference between being a victim and being a victor. Let's talk about victimhood. It doesn't take much to see that our world uh, struggles with those who have experiences that are are truly unfair. There is the rise of the Me Too movement, maybe you've heard of that, and and truly those who abuse and take advantage, uh, that is truly uh, something that God does not intend for anyone. There are teenagers who sometimes get caught up in the wrong path, and when they try to get back on the right path, don't know how, how to do it. There are children who have negative influences at home, a mom or a dad who who maybe again is not the greatest influence, a mom and a dad who have left and they didn't sign up for that. There are adults who struggle with the, the real way that their past creeps up into their present and also affects their future as they've been through things. Yes, this world can be unfair. In fact, something I've said before, and I think I'd say it again, no, no matter who's in here, I bet everyone in this building has a story that if you heard it, it would break your heart. We could all, to some degree, play the victim card. And what does a victim say? It reminds me of a childhood phrase. Uh, Nobody likes me, everybody hates me, I guess I'll go eat worms. Hope no one's ever actually eaten a worm, Right? But but this is how you feel. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I guess I'll go eat worms. And and many people have felt this way. In in fact, I wanted to talk about uh, one very famous Christmas character. Uh, Maybe you know maybe you don't. His name is George Friedrich Handel. You heard of Handel? Now, uh, he had a really good start. In fact, he was a childhood prodigy. His father took him around to dukes and princes to play his music, the music that he had wonderfully composed. In his early 20s, he was the highest-paid composer in the world. Now, especially after post-recession America, to be the highest-paid anything in your early 20s, right, that's crazy. (laughs) He he knew how to command an audience, and, and he was very popular in his day. Until things changed. Until the audiences dwindled and and the fame went away. Instead of producing masterpieces, he produced failure after failure after failure. In fact, to such a degree that he uh, struggled with depression and the stress got to him to such a point that his hands were crippled with palsy. But in the midst of all of this, he heard from God. He heard words that were game changers words that we've already considered, words that said this. Comfort. I I just pause there because when we're feeling how unfair life is, it doesn't feel very comforting. It feels confusing and hard and lost and yet God says he has the audacity to say comfort. Comfort, says my God. Speak tenderly. When we're feeling... In the down of life, this world is harsh and its overtones are screaming in our ears. And yet Jesus comes with with words of tenderness to hold us and catch us. How great is our God? Why? Speak tenderly because her hard service has been completed. Her sin has been paid for. She has received from the Lord's hands double for all of her sins. When it comes to our oppression and the accusing of the devil against our sinful nature, double for all of our sins is what Jesus has paid. Paid not once, but twice, so we can be assured no matter what it is, it is gone. Hurled into the depths of the sea is our sin and our shame. You have comfort today in the tenderness of our God all through the forgiveness and grace of Jesus Christ. Now, these words were enough to change Handel. In fact, Handel uh, went on from here, and at age 56, he uh, produced something called Handel's Messiah. Have you been to it? If you've never been to it at Christmas time, I think it's bucket list worthy. Handel's Messiah at age 56, when, when he again thought everything was over, God used these words of comfort to, to bring passion back and hope back. Now, friends, we're in this series called the thrill of hope and i'm hoping that again god would use this time to reinvigorate your spirit but but something that i i think we need during this time is a different sense we need a sense that we do have victory and and the right to be called a victor in jesus christ and when you start to see yourself as a victor because jesus has overcome Start to see yourself comforted and caught by God this time of year. Spoken tenderly to no matter what is going on. It is then that you can feel like a victor because he has overcome the darkest and the worst. He is the light. How awesome. So this season again, I hope that God restores our hope. Well, today as we talk about uh, reviving our own hearts and getting hope once again, we get a look at John the Baptist and uh, the, the great baptizer, we, we get a look at how God used him to prepare the way uh, for Jesus Christ. And we're going to learn from his example today. Um, our reading for today is from Mark chapter uh, 1. And I'm going to just invite you to rise as we hear the word of God. Um, we do this just to honor the fact that it is God speaking through his word to us. Uh, so Mark chapter 1, here it is. He wrote, the beginning of the gospel, the, the beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. What is his message? A message of repentance that renews our hope. We get to talk about this. Uh, Before you sit down, I have a silly one. Uh, Turn to your neighbor and say, I double-dog dare you. I double-dog dare you. not to stick your tongue against a pole, but to eat locusts, to eat locusts. You may be seated. You may be seated. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. You know, it is a time of uh, preparing for many things. Um, uh, some of you might be preparing to give a gift to someone. Uh, some of you might be preparing to host your family. Uh, some of you look at your calendars and you prepare, um, you know, where everything fits, which is its own, like, you know, masterpiece of making the puzzle work of how do we even have time for all of this, right? Uh, but maybe the, the most fun I have in preparing, and I don't know about you, is is decorating the house. Uh, decorating the house. Uh, this year we put lights up, and, and it's amazing how how much lights have increased in, in uh, popularity, in fact, has anyone ever seen the great Christmas light fight? Uh, I was watching it this past week, and I saw this house, and uh, the couple was uh, basically uh, decking out a forest. And they were describing um, how early they come in preparation, um, and they start in August in order to prepare this uh, by that time. Uh, now, they are retired, so we know how we're using, they're using their retirement, um, but they love preparing, they love sharing this with the community. But in preparation, if you've ever dealt with lights, uh, whether in the house or outside of it, you've probably experienced one of these. And it makes me wonder, like, I I thought I put them in organized. Did, like, a squirrel get in there? Right? You know, how in the world did it come out this way? And so one of the things to to prepare is you got to address the mess. You You have to first sort it out in order to go forward with actually celebrating the Christmas season. Address the mess of the clutter of the Christmas decorations, of the lights that don't work, of the tangle that exists. I bring this up because um, what we're talking about today is preparation. And John the Baptist could also be referred to as John the Preparer. And when it comes to John the Baptist, um, look at what it says his job would be. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John the preparer, this is the voice in the desert. But I was reading this last week and I had a question, maybe the question that strikes you is, how do we prepare in this way? What does this kind of preparation look like that John was supposed to do uh, for the world? Well, I think it has to do with that other picture I just showed you. Remember this, the reality is that I believe we all have this, not in our basements, not in our houses, but in here. See, this world is a mess, and even if we don't look inside, we see it all the time. We hear of a Chicago lieutenant who was fired under some bad circumstances. We consider uh, hostility in schools, whether it be Waukesha or West Bend, where they're on alert. We see how divided our country can be sometimes listening to the news. There's this mess out there, but honestly, there's in all of us this phenomenal, complex, crazy mess. In fact, when, when Paul, the apostle, when, when, when he looked at us, he said this, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful flesh. And because we all have this sinful nature, we all know the complex way that our sinful heart goes astray. It is probably more complex than we want to let a know our neighbor or maybe even our family. The complexity of evil inside of all of us uh, compels us to say with Paul, you know what, if, if you really knew me, you would know I'm the chief of sinners. You would know that I could raise my hand and, and you would just be wowed by how bad the mess is. And so how do you prepare? Well, the same thing you do for the house. The hope for revival is addressing the mess. Now, with the lights, you have to untangle it before it actually goes out. And in our souls, what do we need to do? Well, to to me, our mess is a little harder than this one. In fact, to me, the mess spiritually is more about being stuck. It's more about like being on the side of the road and, and not knowing how to fix the car stuck. It's being where you don't want to be and not having a ride stuck. It's, it's having a situation where you have no clue what the answer is stuck. You ever been there? This past year, I had one of those experiences, if I if you permit a story. I just came back from the DMV, and I got my emissions tested and passed. I'm like, yes, last time for, like, what, two years? And so I was filling up the car, and I was filling up the car. Um, a guy says, it, there's, there's gas leaking. Is that supposed to? And sure enough, there's gas on the floor, not in the car. And so um, I, I go back to my home, and, you know, I, I look on, you know, uh, YouTube, and, and I figure with YouTube and elbow grease, we got this, right? Um... And so I I, I try, and I I buy my first mechanic set of screwdrivers, right, just for this job. And YouTube is helping me along. And and I figure out it's the gas neck. I figure it out. And this other gas neck was so rusted, all I had to do was break it apart and pull it out. And so I got to the point where that was out, and I was going to put the new one in. And I want to show you where I got. I got to, it's coming, this part. And then I got stuck, because I ordered the factory part, but the factory part was not fitting. And YouTube had no answer for that one. So I didn't know what to do. And this was my Saturday, three hours later, still stuck. Refining and revisiting this factory part and, you know, chucking some stuff away, still stuck. Until, until I call a buddy who happens to be a mechanic. <laughs> and thankfully, this guy could get me unstuck. And I'd like to say I finished the job, but that would be a lie. Thank you, Brian. When it comes to the issue of our hearts, I think we are so stuck that unless someone else comes and does what we cannot do, unless someone else fixes what we have failed to fix, we cannot go forward. And and, and when we come to revival in our own hearts, what repentance is, it is changing our minds from the idea that we could ever fix ourselves, that we could ever have a righteousness in and of ourselves, it is changing our mind to the idea that we need a Savior to fix it for us. And if you want revival in your hearts, that's always where it starts. And so here's a point, hope for revival has to begin with repentance, It has to be God, this is too much for me, I can't do it. It has to be God, you got to come in and rescue. And that's exactly what John the Baptist was preaching. When John came, he didn't preach that he was the answer, fix yourselves. He said, you you have a, a baptism of repentance for what? The forgiveness of sins. And what I want to share with you is that we have that same forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you again the story of Christmas. The story of Christmas is Jesus coming down not to unravel the mess. The story of Christmas is that he got rid of the mess and he makes something new. He got rid of the mess in our own hearts in fact, he hurled into the depths of the sea all of our sin and all of our guilt and all of our shame. He didn't try to unravel it. He just threw it away. And in place of that, he says, you are now the new creation. In, in place of our sinful flesh, he now gives the spirit who reigns inside of us. The spirit who is more powerful. Resurrection power is now inside of us. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is alive in us. How amazing. How amazing. And Jesus' goal, even for this planet, was not to redeem this planet that we might live here forever. He was actually going to get rid of this planet that we might go with him where it's all new again. So what I love about Jesus is that what he does is he actually chucks all our mess away and he just gives us something new in the realm of forgiveness and life and hope for a future that has no mess ever again. And that's the reality of what came down. You have such a hope. A certain hope that you don't need to, again, wrestle with any guilt and shame anymore. You can just have the peace that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. How great is what Jesus has done with this mess. So you want to prepare. We prepare by saying, Lord, have my mess if I can have you. But John does more. John is the preparer, uh, but, you know, his best illustration in my mind is that of a warm-up act. A warm-up act. Uh, Any concert goers? Is anyone brave enough to turn to their neighbor and tell them their first concert experience? Some of you are like, Pastor, where are we going with this? (laughs) Can I tell you mine? My first concert, Hootie and the Blowfish. Yeah, yeah, Darius Rucker. Country, I think he's back to Hootie, isn't he? Right? Um... But I got to tell you, I do not remember the warm-up act, right? You ever been to a concert where, like, even if you tried, you don't remember who went on before? And actually, that's the point. In fact, as they bill it, it's the headliner and the warm-up act. Like, many times you go to a concert and you have no idea who is going to be there uh, because their, their point is to be kind of bad, kind of less polished. So when the real act gets on the stage, you're like, wow, that was amazing, Right? I wonder if, like, the headliner pays him to, like, screw up, you know, make me look good, right? When it comes to John the Baptist, what he is is the ultimate warm-up act, and, and he knows it. In fact, we see that um, as, as we look at Scripture. It says here, um, well, let's, let's actually turn to Scripture. Uh, let's turn to 7. It says, after me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. Now, that's John's own words about what he would be as the warm-up act. There is someone greater who is coming, someone I'm not even worthy to again untie the sandal straps. And and while he's the warm-up act, what Scripture reveals about him is actually he was a really good man, like super good. In fact, Jesus says this about him. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Which I don't know if you'd like that to be said about you in the Bible, right? So he is a significant person. The most significant person besides Jesus. And yet the most significant person besides Jesus still reminds us that there's someone greater. The the person who should have had superstar status, he was a headliner. The whole town of Judea was coming out to see him. He says there's one greater. And so the true revival that we're hoping for our nation, it cannot center on anyone but Jesus. We learn that from John the Baptist, and we learn that in our own lives. Now here's why that matters today. Today. We live increasingly in a world of celebrity Christians and superstar pastors. Do you know what I'm talking about? We know Tim Tebow, and Tim Tebow's a great guy. I love that guy's confession. That's cool. I want to meet him. But he's not Jesus. We live in a world of Kanye West. Have you heard of Kanye? Now, Kanye's not a role model. Let's just get it out there. Uh, not all of his lyrics do you want to go and, and search out and find, um, nor all of his life choices. That's fine. But right now, Kanye is making some beautiful confession of who Jesus Christ is, right? And biblically, we can even see say that no matter why Christ is preached, uh, the New Testament would say, whether it's rivalry, envy, I don't care why Christ is preached. That he is preached, to him be the glory. So so there's celebrities, but then there's also superstar pastors. Have you ever heard of Billy Graham? Right? Have you ever heard of an Andy Stanley, a Bill Hybels, a Rick Warren, James McDonald? There are these big names that that God is using. And yet, to all of these names, there is one name that truly matters. And so sometimes, God will use someone like a Kanye with a broken past so that he cannot claim perfection. He can only point to the perfect one. Sometimes he allows you to get so close to, um, you know, a pastor or a priest, and and so you figure out, well, they're not perfect. So that you realize who the perfect one is. And there's grace in that. Sometimes he even allows great leaders to get lost. And we don't joy in their lostness, but maybe we do enjoy in the fact that we learn once again there really was only one name that mattered, only one truth that mattered, and that was Jesus Christ as Savior of the world. And that still applies to, I guess, this church because some of you even like me. And God, God be praised for that. I'm glad you put up with me. Get to know me, I'll disappoint you, don't worry. But I want to tell you, Jesus, he doesn't ever. If we build here on Jesus and say it's Jesus' name that gets all the glory and Jesus is the power and it's Jesus, 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 it's then that we have true hope for revival for it cannot be built on any other person than him. You know, this also applies if you're living on a borrowed faith. And that works for a time. Uh, Maybe you had your mother's faith that was so inspirational. Uh, Maybe some kids would say that. Your mother's confession, your mother's belief, your mother's worldview. But a borrowed faith is not the mature faith that God needs of each and every one of us to have true revival. A borrowed faith is still immature. What God wants for each and every one of us is to hear and to, to seek the voice of Jesus on our very own to be in Bible study, to be our own commentators, to get to a point in our own faith life where I I like pastors, but I don't need them because I know how to be in this relationship with Jesus all by myself. And when we all do that, a revival can continue past any person, past any man, past any earthly name as we center on Jesus Christ. So true hope for revival, it has to center Jesus. But a final thought before we go. And and that thought is um, about this time of year. And and this time of year is uh, a time of getting things. In in fact, there are many uh, kids uh, curious about what they're going to get, what's under the Christmas tree. And and, and that's not all bad. Um, I I did find uh, this on um, uh, the internet. This was one's uh, child's Christmas list, and I just want to consider it with you. An iPhone 11, AirPods, a new MacBook Air, Gucci slides, Chanel purses I don't even know what that means. A hydro flask. I've heard of that. Now, uh, someone added all this up, and it's like $4,000. And you know, uh, this was the funny comment along with it, my 10-year-old daughter must be out of her mind with this Christmas list, right? But it's a time where, again, we, we so often ask, at least to some degree, what am I getting, right? Ha ha, Christmas Eve, what am I getting? Can't wait to see. And that's okay for kids, to a degree. It's good for us to show him love. I'm not, I'm not against that. I'm not a to kill joy. But if that's our daily walk past Christmas Eve, if that is our common expectation, even as we walk with God, what am I getting? What am I getting? We don't have true hope for revival. For true discipleship goes beyond the question, what do I get? And rather it asks, what can I continue to give? Let me share with you again what it's like to be a disciple of Jesus. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must, can you say that word, must? And that's about giving, isn't it? I must deny my rights and what I expect to get. Take up my cross. I might bear some burdens and follow me. And so it's kind of a weird question for Christmas, but I guess I want to know this Christmas, what are you going to give up? To follow Jesus. What's maybe the noise that isn't necessary? Is it a hobby? Is it a sport? Is it an allegiance to a team? I'm not against sports. But to the degree that that just becomes noise in the midst of, again, our celebration of Jesus Christ, let's get rid of the noise. Is it a person? Maybe it's a spouse, a child. And it's not bad to love these people. But if we pursue them and their happiness as if they were our God, and if what they said is the only thing that matters, then then maybe we need to de-escalate our allegiance to that relationship and hear the only voice that matters, which is God. Who says, approved, loved child. Is it career? You have all the rest of your life to earn more money and work more hours. And and studies would reveal most people at the end of their lives never say, man, I really wish I would have worked more. What are you willing to give up so that Jesus Christ, once and for all, becomes the very center? That at Christmas, if we were to have a mantle, a fireplace, he's not the garland and he's not the stockings. He is that fire in the very middle of our lives that that makes the whole atmosphere different. What will you give up? The Spirit so prompts you. May you see him once again for who he is, the best thing this world has to offer. May he lead you into a path of peace and victory once again. May God bless. Amen.